You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome. We're here to talk about Session 7, your, your Session 7 Lexio. Jim on the mystic John of the Cross and uh, thank you for being here. Yeah, glad to be with you again, that's great. So uh, we thought we were in deep but we're just, we're, <laughs> we're just, <laughs> uh, I, I was, uh, it's like a brain teaser we're in right now which is to say that we're <laughs> trying to un- understand something that our finite self can't understand. Exactly. It's exactly right. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I was going to suggest that we just have our infinite selves have, have this dialogue and, uh, and then yeah. it would all become very clear. Uh, but I guess... It, to the infinite self, yes. <laughs> that would just be silence yeah. for everyone listening. You know, I think a way, another way, I mean, in a way you're touching on something important through this too, is that we're talking about a certain experiential oneness with God in which there's an inner certainty regarding it in your heart and you can't explain it. Mm. You can't explain mm. it. That's like Teresa of Avila, the beginning of the fourth mansion, um, uh, that you, you, you realize you're in a realm where the time has come to love. The trouble with third mansion people is that um, uh, that it has not yet, it's entirely too reasonable. See? Uh, and, uh, and this becomes kind of divinely unreasonable, and that it's an overflow of oneness, that you've experienced it in your heart, but you can't begin to explain what's happening to you. And he's offering guidance on how to conduct ourselves in that s- kind of subtle state. You said in the podcast itself, actually, uh, we're not sitting with this to understand it. So. What you said just now is is the kind of understanding we're looking for, which is a more like a certainty in our heart. And when we hear the words, yeah. we don't understand them. We might not understand them, but there's a there's a sense yeah, yeah. of the truth in our heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why when we talk about when two people who have tasted it talk about it, neither one can explain what they're talking about, but they mutually recognize what they're talking about you know, the intimacy. And then he's offering guidance in this, how that deepens and and develops a certain kind of mystical understanding. It's transconceptual. It's not an understanding of a concept, you know, but of an obscure clarity mm-hmm. in your heart that's transforming you into this love. What's amazing about John of the Cross, given what we're saying right now, is how many words he was able to write. He was a pr- prolific writer, uh, and particularly around the Dark Knight and and this this unity of experience. Yes, you know what I think it's like. That reminds me of it's like saying two people that have been uh, been married who've loved each other for a long, long time, and when they speak of their love, they say many things because it's a many faceted thing. You know, it turns this way and then that way. And it offers this, and it offers that, and 
So you get the feeling of the endless kind of music of it, you know, it's because it's infinite, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, yeah, it's very lovely, actually. Would you say, Jim, that someone like John of the Cross would be would be writing from that certain certainty in his heart? The, the words would yeah. flow with that that heart certainty in the mix. That's exactly it. You know, the, I told how he wrote this this poem. Uh, when he was in prison, it's when he was going through that dark night. And it just burst forth like as a flow of poetic love. And so when he got out of the prison and they asked him to comment, like, what's it mean? He was always explicating what was poetically giving to him in the flow of it itself. And when he starts the living flame of love, this mystical marriage, he said, I waited until the love reached such a depth, an overwhelming depth, it, which was even possible to say such things. So it's like a flow, you know, like a, it's putting words to things that words can't say. It's putting words to things that's like music, that when you listen to the musicality or the rhythm of it, it draws you into the beauty of it, and it gives you some sense of it, you're, that you're participating in it. The, the, this unity, this idea of unity, the, 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 the time of union or the experience of union, we're talking about something that is always happening. I, I, I keep reminding myself of that. Is that right, Jim, that the, the unitive experience is happening beneath the surface of what our finite experience can know? Y- yes. You know, at the end of that previous session we did where I used Thomas Merton to introduce the mystical or the inner experience, and um, I use that quote where he refers to, he says, on that other day. Mm-hmm. And what he's referring to is, I'm writing this in this day, which is time. But on that other day, which is eternity, mm. you gave me this before the origins of the universe. That is, you eternally contemplated me, hidden with Christ, with you in the Word, as someone destined for this. So in some sense, it's from all eternity, this has always been happening in you, Lord, mm. as, my, as the divinity of myself and my nothingness without you. And therefore, for us right now, in that sense, it's our ontology, it's our very God-given, godly nature as a Kapox day, as a person. But what's not constant is our experience of yes. it, see, effective union, and that's what fluctuates. So he's really talking about the transformation of conscious affective union into this love, mm-hmm. beyond the faculties of the soul. And that, that the, so in us, it's, it's the reality of us, this is the constancy of who we are in God. But the degree and the ways in which we're aware of it is very inconsistent, mm-hmm. you know, it flickers. And, and so he's trying to help us stabilize the heart, the living heart knowledge so it becomes habitual and being transformed, and that's really what he's about here, I think. Yes. You've spoken a few times during the podcast about um, that that during our life on this plane, that we're very grounded in the finite experience. We have to orient and operate from that experience. But once we die, those that, that finite self will die and we'll be left with the infinite union what I'm hearing about uh, what you just said in terms of the eternal nature of it, did we come in 
to the finite from the infinite also that the that that's been constant from the beginning prior to our birth yes. and will continue after our death that's right so let's say that the person that we are comes into time and god's let it be which were created as a human being in time and that human being in time our human nature is endowed with the capacity to realize this timeless unitive mystery as a capacity to be realized and we realize it through flashes of mystical oneness through love all these quickening experiences and then in realizing it we're to freely choose to assent to it like to yield to it and to become obediently faithful to it but on this earth it's it's mediated through the faculties so this infinite presence is mediated through our finite mind illumined by faith and so on so what the mystical is is the dark night renders us powerless to actualize this awareness of God through our faculties. So we're powerless to feel the consolation of God, to feel the warmth of God, because it's finite. God weans us off. God sees we're attached to it. God weans us off our insights and understanding of our beliefs. And then in that powerlessness, those are the three signs of meditation that this is occurring. He said there begins to emerge this general loving awareness without regard for anything in particular. So that's the first emergence of this kind of celestial, uh, luminous awareness beyond thought, beyond words, and the, the, the transformation happens there. Only on this earth, it's very deep and real, but on this earth it's always obscure mm. to the one who realizes it because we're trying to reflect upon it and the finite consciousness is being transcended by it. Yes. But it's, it's real and it's a foreshadowing. In heaven, it'll be crystal clear. Also, I would say this, the finite self dies, but the finite self is also eternal in God. This was meant by the, final re the, meta the mythic language of the final resurrection and so on. So that this, you and I right now, and this conversation we're having, because God knows we're having this conversation, because God never forgets, when we die, we'll go into having this conversation forever, that everything real is forever, and it's nothingness without God. And through this path, we become sensitized to that. See? Like the, the eternality, the fleetingness of everything in, in this love. But if I use my ego as my base of operations, as having the final say in who I am, that's what's not forever. It's, it's that, for it, that's the false self. See, that's the, 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 who I am in my ego has a final say in who I am. But it doesn't. It's a, the modality in which I'm actualized in my ego to what transcends my ego through love. That's the gist of it. Yes. You, you said in this last podcast um, about the reliance on the finite faculties, uh, you used the word dissolve, like the, you say the finite faculties dissolved into the, into the yeah. union. In the past, you've, you've used, you know, the finite faculties have to die or the ego has to kind of die a kind of death. The dying sounds quite painful. The dissolving sounds quite poetic. And I wondered yeah. what is uh, the experience for people. I'll give an example in human love first. And then I'm going to talk about the dying and the dissolving. Um, let's say in human love, there can be a moment between two people in a deepening communion of love in which they feel they're mutually 
your otherness is mutually dissolving in the oneness of the love, which is kind of miraculous and wondrous to them. So the, the depth of it the, in which they're being transformed is a dissolving. That is, the, the separateness is dissolving or giving way to the oneness, which they feel the immensity of that or the holiness of that. So this can also happen in nature with the artist or the poet, this dissolving. The death happens. In order to yield to the dissolving, they have to let go of control. They, 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 and the thing is, the part of us is still trying to control doesn't easily give give up its claim on us, and uh, so this there's this kind of battle that goes on in love, or it's, it's similar to someone in AA for the alcoholic, um, as they come into sobriety, it's a dissolving in, in sobriety, the eleventh step, conscious contact with God, but what's required is that the alcoholic in them has to die. And insofar as they're still attached to that because they're an alcoholic, it's a battle to the death, you know, one day at a time, one hour at a time. But if they stay the course, and as they come across the ark, and they settle in this better place, they're so glad that they endured that death. And I think these are all modalities of the same transformative power of love. Mm -hmm. it always, it's always asking something out of us. That we give up something that we cherish, but in our heart we know it's holding us back. See, if we try to live by that and hold on to the fear, hold on to the anger, hold on to the resentment, whatever that is, we're always asking for love to dissolve that mm -hmm. through love and, and set us free. So there's an element of um, like the, e the ego coming uh, across its own powerlessness, that the, the control at once yeah, yes. isn't, isn't what it That's really... Right is after yeah that's right and so uh with john of the cross the, that powerlessness actually came through external circumstances of real powerlessness and pain and betrayal yeah. and even when you're talking about the alcoholic like there's a lot of um this the circumstances of life are painful and and uh and i wonder is it is it always are the life circumstances always matched kind of yeah. to that sense of dying or pain? I'll, I'll tell you how I, this is my understanding of it. Because it, it comes as it comes, it's given to whom it's given. See, I think when John the Cross was in the prison in that dark night and had this breakthrough, this love, I think the breakthrough of the love came only over all the years of being steadfast in humble prayer. Mm. That is, he had already gone through the dark night in meditation in silence, and love, and humility, and pain. He was already becoming translucent to the divine. And so the, the arduous moment was a tipping point for him. And sometimes it can happen uh, to us out of the blue, like near-death experiences. Like all of a sudden we're quickened by it. But in order to be stabilized in it, we have to circle back and do our homework and interiorly letting go humility, patience, trust, fidelity. We have to do the inner work for it to become habituated. Because sometimes when people, some people, when they're quite young, they're given a big taste of this. And they spend the rest of their life learning to be faithful to what was given to them. And that's what spiritual direction is all about. He's, each person has to see where they are with respect to this. 
See, where have I experienced this, or where have I glimpsed this, or how am I on the edge of this? Because um, when you look at it, it isn't that there aren't visions and voices that, that can happen in deep prayer states. He talks about that. When you really think about it, he's talking about things that are very delicate, you know, very interior, very subtle. And a lot of it sometimes is calibrating our heart to a fine enough scale to be sensitized to the delicacy of this union. Yeah, and there's something, I don't know, if, for me personally, like th th that I was drawn um, by this, this possibility of union. And in the podcast where you, you said something like, deep within the hidden center of, of ourselves is this union. And, you yeah. know, I, my heart quickens in he in hearing that and I, I I feel drawn to it because I feel like it's the only way that's right to truly know myself and find myself that's right so it's kind of what draws me that's why I suggest to people I think so when we were doing the first sessions on Merton and um, where I said I think my I got my first big taste of it it started at age three with the trauma but the first big taste of 14 when I was reading Thomas Merton the sign of Jonas and um, uh, in, in reading the sign of Jonas, he, he, he has this, he kind of speaks from his heart about this deep awakening like this. And uh, when I read it at 14 years old, the depth of the purity of that voice reached my mm. heart. So it's almost, you're, it's like an event, like you're quickened mm -hmm. in the oneness, but you're, Ego is kind of cluelessly wondering what's happening, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm being sweetly transcended mm -hmm. in an intimate realization. But now that I've been transcended, I won't play the cynic. See, I won't betray my awakened heart. And that's why when we hear words like this, that self in us starts to resonate with, you know, because it can tell mm -hmm. it's being talked about. <laughs> and it's hard to find guidance in it. See, that's what makes these mystics so special. Yeah really is so subtle. See, where can I find somebody well-seasoned in such things? And that's what these mystics are. They're trying to help people who are being interiorly led this way. Part of the yeah. pain for me, Jim, when I think about the, the pain of the death or, or the dissolving is uh, paying clo closer attention to my life, like part of engaging in a regular practice and those sorts of things. I'm I'm my attention to my life is much stronger, much clearer. And mm -hmm. as I pay closer attention to my life, uh, there's things that are humiliating. Uh, there's things that, uh, you know, I can, I can be more immediate to my experiences of judgment or shame or, you know, and so there's, I, I have found personally, like I'm, I'm experiencing a lot more pain um, in my life. I think I can also experience more joy and more connection, um, greater compassion, but but definitely the painful side as well. And uh, yes. I'm just wondering, is that is that part of it to 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 be more in touch with our lives? And uh, I, I think it is. I think it is. But I, I would think this too. Up to a point, that pain is a gift because it's conscience. You look back and you say, oh gosh, you know, I, uh, not one of my better moments. And maybe you went on in it for a while too, like you're in collusion with it for a while. And so part of it is conscience, 
grateful for the extent that you were aware out of that pain to move beyond it. So there's that. There's another deeper layer of it, is that when the pain is this kind of a punitive voice towards ourself, we realize that I think that's how I understand Jesus really is mercy. Because Jesus, in that mo very moment you were doing those things, whatever they are, whatever I did, whatever, everybody has these stories. As a psychotherapist, you listen to this all day long. Um, what, what, whatever we were doing, um, the, the important thing is from God's point of view, you were infinitely loved by God in the very midst of doing those things. Because, um, as Merton says, see, it's, it, 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 there's no, um, it has no tyranny over ourselves in what we did because only the love of God sustaining us in our foolishness is the sole authority. So we're really guilty as a kind of a, um, uh, an ideology, mm. a performance. See, I, I, me I wasn't measuring up to my own thing. But in the eyes of God, we all measure up to who we are in the eyes of God. And all we have to do is see all those lessons when you think about it. Part of it was regretful. Sure enough, we probably hurt people, hurt ourselves. We need to acknowledge that. But a lot of what we know today about mercy came out of what we learned in going through those things. Mm. I think, mm -hmm. you know, really, if you just, if you really just, and then that also helps us to see everybody in those eyes. We're all a work in progress, and uh, we're trying to help each other out here. Mm -hmm. Can you repeat that? There was something beautiful you said about measuring up, and and you said, yeah, yeah, yes. That one way of understanding this is that there's there's the gift of it in conscience that I fell short in being the person I know in my heart, deep down I am and I'm called to be. Because I hurt myself, I hurt other people, and uh, I went on for a while, whatever the details are. See. But then insofar then, the real pain is that I didn't measure up to my idealized self, being ashamed that I didn't measure up to who I'm trying to be. See, am I holy yet? Am I holy yet? Am I holy yet? Yeah. See, you know. And see, and what, what happens then, I think it's this love that John of the Cross is talking about, which is really mercy, that's the gift of tears, really, is the ultimate irrelevancy of all that. And the real sin is attributing more authority to our ideals we can't live up to over the love that loves us and our inability to live up to mm. our ideals. You know, I think that's called that Christ consciousness or compassion, whatever, which is wisdom. I think, and it's not license. St. Paul says, if we're loved this way, should we just sin all the more? God forbid. Mm -hmm. But the point is, we're powerless to make God stop being infinitely mm -hmm. in love with us. It's not for us to say. And we surrender to that and try to live by it as best we can. Mm -hmm. That's my sense of it. That's really helpful. Thank you. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. I, uh, it reminds me of uh, the image you gave in uh, last last session around uh, God coming out of the cave and giving us a hug, and I love yeah. that. Yeah. I love that image. Yeah. It's a great. In these image. moments where we feel that insecurity, anxiety, um, yeah. the penalizing uh, part of ourselves, yeah. we can. 
Rick That's and right. And, and by the way, that hug can come to a, a, an accepting friend, mm -hmm. you know, the, the person. It can come in prayer. That We all need those hugs, the reassurance. But see, in the cave, God's, see, where God says, I'm not, the dark night is God says, I'm not coming out. I want you to come in here. <laughs> see, see, and when you're in the dark with God, it's not your finite self's experience of God's infinite hug. You've passed beyond your finite abilities into the hiddenness of God, see, being given the hidden infinite hug, see, of this communion, and that's the mystical part. Wow. See. And we're always both, because I said at the end of the session too, so John of the Cross, his whole life was all these stories about, we always wanted him to join us on the walks because he always made us laugh, because he was so poor growing up, he had a special concern for the poor, he he went. He apologized when he was dying to the superior of the house, whatever he did. And uh, his poetry is so sensual. You get the feeling of a very present, loving, uh, open-hearted person. You know, in the day-by-day -day realities mm -hmm. of it, and uh, mark of holiness. I yeah, guess. I think we we can often forget about the day-to-day -day life of the the saint or the mystic teacher. We can just be so drawn by the beauty of their yeah. words and. And, uh, yeah. Which isn't to say, Jim, that he might not have still had things that weren't perfect in his personality also, is that? Yeah, he probably, in this hagiography, they weren't really into that kind of existential honesty about temp issues of temperament. And, and uh, so he, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm certain that he did. But the thing is, he was um, took responsibility for them. Mm. He was aware of them. He, he was always uh, working at not giving in to them and renewing his efforts, and then mystically was aware of their ultimate irrelevance in the presence of the love that's taking us to itself in the midst of the frailties deeply accepted, which is salvation. Mm -hmm. Which is really the path to be being able to take true responsibility and have humility. And, it, it, um, yeah. it is. It's not that it's not See, that it, the. Persecution or the the shame or the judgment might not continue to arise. It's it's that I the way I approach yes. it or the way I can hold That's it, right. it changes. That's why I think in in AA they say making a fearless inventory of our past life, and that raises the question: What's a fearful inventory? <laughs> <laughs> a fearful inventory is I already know enough bad things about myself. Mm. I don't know what else is back oh, there. Yeah. Why? Why are we afraid of it? We believe it has the authority to name who we yeah. are. But when we know that the higher power, it has no authority to name who we are in the eyes of then bring it on. You know, uh, I'm God's fool here, just trying to get to another day. You know what I mean? Just like you, we're all in this together. So there's a kind of a, there's kind of a freedom of humble self-acceptance while we consciously work on these things as best we can, but in a peace that's not dependent on the success that we can reach this and this and that, like the thorn in the flesh for St. Paul. And God says, leave it there. You know, the thorn is your teacher. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. Mm. I did want to talk about practice. You you talked about practice a couple of times in, in the last session. And one, I wanted to bring back the verse you quoted from Philippians about kenosis. Yes. And... He did not consider his equality with God a condition to be clung to. Mm -hmm. And just wondered how you relate that to how we might practice this path. Yes. What I was referring to is um, 
And I mentioned Mirabai Star and I were talking about this too. See, the way the translation of the poem begins the Ascent of Mount Carmel, when we began our work on the active night. In stanza five of that poem, the Ascent of Mount Carmel, he says, O guiding night, O night more lovely than the dawn, O night that has united the lover with his beloved, transforming the beloved in her lover, so the beloved is the soul. Her lover is the infinite love of God. And so we're transformed by our infinite, our soul is transformed by our infinite lover into the very love of God transforming us into itself. And that's most theologically um, correct, we'll put it this way, because it honors the utter transcendence of God. We're transformed through love into God, through love in our nothingness without God. So what I was suggesting in the talk is, is, and this comes through in John of the Cross with the canticle and the living plane. If, if Christ did not consider his equality with God a condition to be clung to, could we say then in the kenosis of God through love that the soul and God are transformed into each other? That is, God does not consider his equality with God, but meets us in mystical love, transforming ourselves into each other, see, mm. as this ultimate kenosis of God's self-donating love, like the ecstasy of God. And God created you to have someone that he or she can completely give himself to forever, see, forever, holding nothing back. You just want to empty like this, so that you, in being so taken by that, might be so moved that you then give your very self to this infinite love that's giving itself to you. And that's, that's heaven. Mm. See, that's paradise. See? And that, that union occurs obscurely on this earth. And this is this obscure poetry. But our gl in glory, it'll be uh, fully manifested forever. See, as God's will for us. So this is a foretaste of heaven in the obscurity of love. And are there practices we can do kind of in our finite experience that might help with that idea, I think the kenosis you described it as, of, of the letting go, letting go. Yeah, I use the example of, um, I think of this with myself, people I worked with in therapy. They say someone can be in a marriage or someone with their child or someone can be teaching students or be committed to the, the, the healing of people through medicine or psychology or the, working with the poor, the disadvantaged, or the commitment to be an artist or to be a poet or to be a solitary. See? And the thing is you're so moved by the depth of this calling see, that you literally spend yourself like you just you just give yourself completely to it. And the more you give yourself to it, the more that's given back to you is transformed in it. This always implies at a secondary level that you're modulating yourself in terms of sleep and food and because uh, like, you're just a human being. But in your heart, it's like a lifetime of self-giving that over the years has so enriched you, you can hardly begin to put words to it. And I think that's an echo of this um, self-emptying love incarnate and lived out with each other and with the earth, I mm -hmm. think. So in a way, um, whatever the thing is that, that enlivens that flow of love, joy, 
kind of compassion in you, um, we can let go of things that might get in the way of us entering into that flow, that love, that giving out, giving more of ourselves. That's right. Because I also think if you look at it this way, that self-giving generosity in reality is always kind of messy. Yeah. You know, you're exhausted at the end of the day. There's a lot of things that didn't go right. There's a lot of setbacks. There's misunderstandings. So it's a messy kind of sifting and a give and take. And you go with the flow, you lean into it, you set back again. And they like life on life's terms. Yes. It's fully incarnate. But you realize that somehow God's the infinity of that transformative process itself. See? And that very process itself is the immediacy of God. And uh, you, you have that heart, the certitude in your heart that it's true. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really helpful to hear. So even when you find that thing um, that really draws you towards itself, through a love experience, uh, the, yeah, the difficulties, the fatigue, the judgments, the all those things uh, are going to be all sifted that, out yeah. along the way. Exactly, because if you're going on along and the beloved dies, you're diagnosed with cancer, you know, or one of your children gets sick. You don't handle it with mystical serenity. Yeah. You know, you you fall apart. Mm -hmm. But you, you fall apart with an underlying trust that God's sustaining you as you fall apart. See? And if you die from it, God's sustaining you as you die. There's an underlying, that's why I say God's a presence that protects us from nothing, even as God sustains us in all things. And even that certitude can go away. See? You can be a dark night where you momentarily lose the ability to know that. But if you've been at it for a while, you know you're just having an episode. You know, if you just wait, it'll always resurface again. And the, the God's the infinity at the perceived absence of God. So even the absence is trustworthy. You know, it's that kind of thing, I think. Yes, yeah. Lastly, on practice, you uh, suggested that we might notice in the podcast or when we're reading these mystics, the line that might silence us. And, uh, and I wondered after we, we find this, the word or the phrase that silences us and we read it and we feel the stillness and the silence, can we then um, kind of use that idea you just gave us of the of the letting go, um, and so can that be a part of what we what we orient to in the, in that si to to extend the silent moment or to to hold it deeper in our hearts? Yes, I think so. I put it this way: Let's say two people deeply in love with each other are having a loving, uh, intimate conversation that brings us to a moment of silence. It brings them to a, a silence. We might say the silence is that apophatic part of the love, like the unspeakable or mm -hmm. hidden part. When they're moved by love to speak again, the love doesn't break the silence, but it's the cataphatic manifested love. And so the manifested and the unmanifested are in a constant interplay with each other, if that makes sense in a way. And, and so it's, a, it's the same in, so we're reading something, we're so moved by it, see, we stop. And then we rest in it unexplainably, unexplainably resting in the depths of the unexplainable, yeah. see, taking us to itself yeah. like that. So then, but then when we read it, when we pick up and read again, we, we read it in a way that doesn't break that communion, but it's the power of the logos, like the love language, so the cadence and rhythms of the words carry you along and until the next time that you stop. And so there's that interplay of the word and the silence, the word and the silence. And there's another kind of word that does break it. 
where you realize you step in with your opinion, you step in, but you realize although you broke it from your end, God never breaks mm. it from God's end. And so you just acknowledge that happened. You're, you're an infinitely love broken person and you surrender yourself over that and you read on and that starts, and so the rhythm of that is practice. See, Then you're practicing what you're trying to have go on throughout the whole day and see that everything's always like that, really. These rhythms and you're trying to be habitually aware of that so you can habitually share it with others and you know that's like really that. helpful yeah. uh back to the marriage example because i could easily see you have the moment that you have something said or uh my husband and i love to give each other cards on birthdays and as you've read the card you know it's like yeah. <laughs> you feel the you feel the depth of the moment yeah and then i'll just say for me sometimes a thought pops into my head like where are we going for dinner tonight or what have you done that tart did you get to take the trash out before we sat down to do this or the you know and um and so Jim would they be the kind of things we might want to just not pay attention to or let go of in the moment to keep the flow of the of the love going no see no see I, I don't think so first of all let's say you say did you take the trash out yeah Okay, well, let's say you go another step further and say, you didn't take the trash out? <laughs> How many times do I have to, and you're shaking the card at him that he just gave you, and you didn't take out the trash, and you expect me to enjoy, I think you just slipped and fell off the edge. <laughs> but to know that, did you take the trash out? And he, he might say, no, I didn't, I'm sorry, I'll take it out now. That is the way. Mm. See, that's what Merton once said, the great thing about marriage, it, helps people to be sanely carnal, mm-hmm. see? That somehow it's, it's made of thousands of infinitely ordinary woven moments with each other and the patterns, and somehow you begin to realize, see, God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. God so loved the world, it sent as the variations and fluctuations of each relational thing that goes deeper, 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 whether it's in solitude or poetry or teaching or a sickness, whatever it is, these, these are all modalities of being transformed in love. I think. Yes, yeah. So that it flows through every every aspect of of the conversation, yeah, even yeah, the yeah. mundane. Yeah, and it, by the way, another big thing I think, having done a lot of marriage counseling too, a lot of people aren't blessed with a deeply blissful marriage. Mm. But they're a contemplative person who's contemplatively sensitive that there's issues of this marriage that needs to be looked at very seriously with an uncertain outcome. So how do they be mystically present to that? Likewise, there's some people who keep slipping into hurtful behavior through anger, withholding, addiction. And a lot of their path is trusting in God's love for them. Um, St. Benedict was asked, what do you monks do in the monastery all day? He said, fall down and get up, fall down and get up, fall down and get up. That somehow their path is never giving up on themselves Mm. because God doesn't. And some other path is to be an habitually broken person. And they'll probably die broken, you know. Uh, but if they can die like a, a broken person, handing themselves over to the God that loves them in their brokenness as their path. So this is always unique to each of us, you know, and who we are. And, and that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hal's going to be thrilled that I uh, now have permission to ask him about the trash as often as I like. <laughs> yeah, and if he has objections, you can quote me. So, yeah. 
no complaints yeah. from me there. Oh, 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 no, no, no. But to be fair, to be fair, I'd have to have a talk with him, and he'd give me something about you, See, because it's you know tit for tat. You know, it works both ways. <laughs> I'll make sure to ask him before our Q and A session. Because yeah. he might say, "Yeah," because he might say, "You know, I know it's not good. I don't take out the trash, but quite seriously, I, I do think it's a little more seriously hurtful that you keep pointing it out to me in that tone of yeah. voice." Yeah. And I, I'd rather uh, let's have a, let's measure the depth of our woundedness here. <laughs> and think it over while I take out the trash. See. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, and that's the way it plays out, right, Jim? Just in those very mundane kind of yeah. It does. It does. That's the beauty. It shines out. It shines out as exquisite. Actually, yeah. Think, yeah. You know. And I'm just going to thank Hal for taking out the trash in the loving way he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, <clears throat> I just wanted to before we close this session, uh, we've come to the end of our season three on John of the Cross, and I just wanted to take a pause and. Ask you, how's it been for you doing this season on John of the Cross, someone, your beloved mystic? You know, I mean, you hear that noise outside my window? Can you hear that? No. Machine, that leaf blower? That's good. Okay, good. Uh, I'll tell you what this has been for me. This whole series is so providential for me. When I went to the monastery right out of high school, and with Merton's help, I was immersed in these mystics. They had such a profound effect on me. And when I left, I continued to immerse myself in them, and then later give retreats on them. So for me to be sharing these people that have guided me over the years, you know, these classical texts and the beauty and truth of it, and and um, so it's a variation of me doing silent contemplative retreats, how to live a contemplative life in the midst of the world. And the meals are in silence, and there's sittings, and the, I share talks like this. So I see the podcast as a, like a monastery without walls that allows me to sh pass on these teachings that have so um, transformed my life, mm -hmm. really. So I, I felt very good about it. I just feel it's a blessing to me. It's yeah. been a real gift. And Jim, have you enjoyed um, being back in the, in the works of John of the Cross in a more dedicated fashion this, this. Uh, I did. I was like this morning I took five hours preparing for this talk wow. today by outlining it all over again. I outlined it by hand and went through it, read the passages again and found other passages and sat with it. And that re every time I get reimmersed in it, I get reawakened how beautiful it mm. is. You know what I mean? How just it's just stunning actually. And what a gift to be drawn to it. Because even to be drawn to it bears witness that you're already on the path where you wouldn't be drawn to it. And so we each are where we are. And uh, so what a gift that we can all be together like this on this path, following these teachers. Yeah, it's a gift. So, uh, Jim, we're not quite at the end of the season because uh, next time we'll be um, reflecting on some questions that have been sent in by, by people listening. So I'm looking forward to that. So uh, I think we've had quite a number of questions come in. So we can, uh, we can look forward to that. Good, I like that. I like that, we'll look forward to that. Very good. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll see you back here for that. Thank yes. you, Jim. You're welcome. And thank you, Corey, also, both of you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.